you know, I don't, I don't do this enough, but how about John Mark Burge and the band leading us in song this morning? Don't they do a great job? And for, for Nick Crawford for preaching last Sunday and for interviewing Panye this morning, and I love this guy. I got to spend the summer of 2014 over with him in a, just on the front lines of a fight. And this guy, I tell you what, great sense of humor. We, we laughed, didn't we? When you're around this guy, you just do extra ab work. And we love you, brother. Appreciate you. Looking forward to hanging. Are we going to hang some one-on-one this week? Okay. Panya's too busy to work me in his schedule. But uh, we'll get there eventually. Hey, turn to Habakkuk chapter 3 in a moment. We'll put it on the screen. Not yet, but Habakkuk chapter 3. We're going to close out this series. And when you get to heaven one day, you're going to thank me because when you get to heaven, some of you will, you'll meet this guy named Habakkuk and you'll say, oh yeah, I remember in 2017, RG preached on you, man. It was good to meet you. We read your book a little bit. (laughs) This morning, we're going to close out this series uh, by talking about if then faith. If you're a note taker, write those two words down, if then, add that third, if then faith. What do you do if then? When I was a youngster, there was a series of kids books uh, called Choose Your Own Adventure. And in this series of books, it allowed you to do just that. If you wanted to go in one direction, the reader was in charge. You could, you could turn to page 73 and choose that direction. Or if you wanted to go another direction, you could turn to page 96 and hear what that story had to say. If you chose reading option that led you to page 73 and you didn't like how the plot was unfolding, you merely stopped reading and then you changed direction and went a different place in the story. Choose your own adventure series of kids books sold some 250 million copies i'm not surprised most of us want to choose our own story most of us want the preference to be able to control the outcome there's something in you something in me that wants to change our circumstances decide the outcome avoid adversity dodge difficulty oh if we could only choose our own story when my daughter was a little gal uh, she was reading a novel and in this novel she really entered into the story she got emotionally connected to its characters which includes animals and if you know Haley she's emotionally connected to animals and characters and she just really got into it and midway through halfway through the book almost she just got stressed by the plot and what was happening and in her stress she just stopped reading And I said to her, three words, just keep reading. The story is not over. The final chapter has not ended. Trust, trust the author in this. If you're in a hard place, if you're in a chapter of your life now that reads life is hard, as the preacher this morning, I want to say to you, Just keep reading. Soon you're going to get to a chapter that says God is good. Just keep reading. This is the story of Habakkuk, this ancient prophet who lived some 600 years before Christ. He is in a tough time. A lot had happened. We said in week one, we've repeated it each week, that he used six terms to describe 
his day, violence and destruction, strife and contention, wickedness and perversion. The northern kingdom of Israel had gone into exile. The southern kingdom of Judah was led by a succession of bad kings. Could you imagine that? We can't in our day, but bad politicians were leading them and leading them astray. Can you believe that? That happened back then. And Habakkuk looks at his time and he says, what is going on? And amidst the violence and destruction, strife and contention, amidst the wickedness and perversion, he offers a complaint. We defined it as a lament in week two. And his lament was really these two central questions that are fundamental to the human spirit and condition. Why and how long? Lord, what are you doing? He sees the suffering of this world. Don't you? Don't we? In the global village that we live, think about a children's hospital. Think about an abusive home. Think about a refugee camp. Think about a war-torn village. And Habakkuk, so long ago, addresses the most basic, the most pressing of philosophical inquiries ever. God, how can you be all-powerful? How can you be loving and there be evil in the world? God, if you're good, you would stop it. God, if you were powerful, you could. If he's good, he would. If he could, he should, but he, it, he doesn't, so he isn't. And that's what we must wrestle with. God, where are you in the midst of this? And this is Habakkuk's question of complaint, and God gives him an answer. Chapter 1, verse 5, one of those passages that's so taken out of context. Hey, hold on, look, see, wonder. I'm about to do amazing things that you just can't even understand. That sounds like good news, but it's not. It was prophecy of the Babylonians. They were on their way. And we ask you in the context of this historical story, how about you when it goes from bad to worse? And that's what happened here. It's so difficult, so very difficult to see God amidst the bad, amidst the pain, and amidst the suffering. God, help us. Are you there? Do you care? And God answers him, but it wasn't the answer in the moment that he wanted. But he was able to say that you were on the throne and the earth is silent before you. Just keep reading. Trust the author of the story. If I were to ask you this morning on a Thanksgiving Sunday, if I were to ask you, hey, is there an elephant in the room? Not a metaphorical one, I know that's expression, but is there like an actual elephant in the room. Pani, what are you going to say? What, what's your answer? Is there an elephant in the room? What you will do is you'll look around and with pretty high degree of confidence say, no, there's no actual elephant in the room. If I were to ask you if there's any lice in the room, what do you say then? You probably look around and with optimism say, nah, there's probably not any lice in the room, but in actuality, the person sitting in front of you could have a head full of them, right? The next person that scratches their head, we're going to look at you with great suspicion, right? I'm probably good on this one. Amen. Some of us, praise God. What I want to say to you this morning is that understanding the all-powerful wisdom of God Which is it more like? Looking for an elephant or looking for lice? Can I tell you, it's more like finding a flea than spotting an elephant. And there are times when we just don't know.
Just because you can't see it doesn't mean that it's not there. I just saw someone scratch their head. And two people got up and leaving church. Not because of the sermon, right? Just because you can't see it doesn't mean that it's not there. And so to this question that I've set before you, that Nick set before you, how long and how long depends on having hope? A famous experiment conducted by John Hopkins University. They answered the question, how long can a rat last in water? Do you know the answer? If you were to throw a rat in the water, a rat's going to be able to make it about 10 minutes. But in this experiment, in the first 10 minutes, they, they pulled the rats out every two to three minutes in that first stretch. And the rats were able to make it in water 60 hours. Yes, John Hopkins, right? Hope is a powerful thing. How long can you hold on? You can much longer if you have hope. How long depends on having hope, and having hope depends on how the story ends. You ever had a friend or family member spoil a show for you? Like you, you, you had it recorded, you were going to watch it later. Is that the right word? Recorded, tape, record. I use the wrong words in my house to this emerging generation. But anyway, you, you, you record a program and you don't want anybody to spoil it because what, that would ruin it. By definition, it would ruin it for you. But researchers at UC San Diego, they conducted their own experiment and found that, yes, spoiling does, it does take away from the suspense, but it actually makes the story more enjoyable. They found, conducting these various experiments, that when you know the outcome, you are able to cognitively engage with it and to understand it and to relax and get deeper meaning out of it. Do you understand that a little bit? Can you follow that if you know the outcome? On Thursday night, Thanksgiving night, how many of you would have watched the Egg Bowl differently if you knew the outcome? Good Lord, what have I just done? But if you know the outcome, it's different. It's different. The final chapter has not been written. Just keep reading. In the life is hard chapters, we've got to get to the God is good. And so now we come today as we close out with the word, Habakkuk chapter 3. This is if-then faith. Habakkuk chapter 3, we're going to read, if you have an open Bible, we're going to read 17, 18, and 19 of this final chapter in the prophets writing remember we said this that all the prophets of the old what do they do they talk to the people about god but habakkuk is different more like job of the wisdom literature where we eavesdrop on him and he's talking to god we're listening to his journal entry here we go though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines the produce produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's, and he makes me tread on high places. Sort of a little addendum here on the end. To the choir master with stringed instruments. This is a journal. This is a journal put to song. And this is his song of faith. His song of worship. If you look in Webster's Dictionary, worship is listed as a noun. 
But if you follow Jesus, if you're on the adventure of following him, you know that, that, that worship is a verb. It's a transitive verb. And if you're an English guy like I am, transitive verbs have to have an object. What is the object of your worship? And though he had seen it all, though the Babylonians were on the way, there was, though there was devastation in the land, there was societal collapse, there was famine, the cattle were being starved or stolen, the crops were not growing. I mean, he's basically saying, I mean, this was a country music song, it'd be kind of funny, right? My wife left me, my truck broke down, my dog died, but it's not funny. Picture World War II, picture Europe after World War II. This is serious stuff. Some of you have an open Bible. Some of you probably have an NIV or an NASB or another translation. And instead of the word though, some of these renderings give us if. If. If there is not fruit on the vine. If there is not cattle in the stall. If there is not food and drink and merriment. If. If. If is a powerful proposition. If you want to be a spiritual person. If you want your life to be on point and on purpose and on mission, if you want to be a follower, if you want to engage in a heartily way in this world, you'll need to understand this proposition, if. And hear me now. Hear me. A lot of confusion can reign in our hearts, and we have a lot of bad theology when it comes to this. So hearken for a moment. The word if, this powerful proposition, is a cause and effect chain reaction. It can be so catalytic. And I wouldn't be a good pastor if I didn't preach this way and tell you that this is true. But if is all through the scripture. And though we love because he first loved us, and though he's the one who convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment, and although it is his love and sovereignty that begins every good and perfect endeavor, God is waiting for some of us right now to engage and live by faith if, if you will do this, then this. First Corinthians, First Chronicles, rather, 7:14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, I will heal their land if. First John 1 John 1:9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if. Jesus in Matthew 17, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, what is small can become so potent and powerful. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move this mountain from here to there if. Revelation 3, I am standing at the door and I'm knocking... If you hear my voice and open the door, I will enter in. We will have fellowship if, 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 if. We need to preach it. You need to know it. Because there's a cause and, cause and effect chain reaction. It's catalytic. And God is waiting on you to move in faith. And you're sitting there in a parked car with the emergency brake on and no keys in the ignition. And God is saying, Move and move in faith. If you will, he will do something. In what ways do you demonstrate faith? Do you trust him with your finances? Do you wait in areas where it's difficult? Do you just follow along with culture and live as the world lives? If you do this, then God will do this.
But what if not? What if you seek his face and pray and humble yourself? What if you turn from your wicked ways, but the nation continues to slide into ruin? What if you confess, but you don't feel cleansed? You still feel dirty and you're beaten up by that voice of condemnation. You feel like you're not going to change. What if you pray and pray and pray so earnestly, so fervently, so passionately, but no mountain seems to move. In fact, the mountain's getting bigger and you turn around and start turning molehills into more mountains. You're creating more mountains. What if? And what if you open a door and invite him in, but you just feel the same? And Habakkuk in chapter 3 As he closes out, he gives us some traits of if-then faith. And if-then faith has three components to it that I want to talk to you about this morning. If-then faith knows he can. God, you're on the throne and you're powerful. Think of David, a young shepherd boy. How was it that David was able to go out with a slingshot and take down a giant named Goliath? Was this his first rodeo, people? He had killed bears and tigers. And he had some preparation. And he had seen God work. Have you seen God work? If you've seen him work, there's something in you. It may be dormant, but there's something inside of you that knows that he can. You have seen it. Anybody seen God do a work in your life? Help the preacher out. Shake your head a little bit. Have you seen, have you seen him do something? I'm looking at a friend over here that's been healed. She's seen God do something. If then faith knows that he can. If then faith believes that he will. When I was a youngster, this was so formative and so shaping in my life. But there was a community that was about to get hit hard by a storm. And our family was praying for God to protect us from a particular calamity. And in that prayer, I just prayed the prayer. I was a new believer. I didn't know better. I didn't know to doubt. And I just prayed a prayer and prayed in faith. And a woman in our church walked up to me. I knew her. She walked up to me and she said, hey, Robert, I believe too. And it was this moment. I'm not trying to get too mystical on you, but it was just a moment where I believed that God had given me a gift of faith, apparently given her a gift of faith. She had discerned that in me, and we never doubted. We prayed and we saw God's goodness. We know he can, and we believed that he will. And that's what faith does. That's what if-then faith does. It knows that he can. It believes that he will. But it worships if he doesn't. This is what we see. It's what we see and it's why we preach hard against prosperity theology and why we're careful not to get too excited up here and get too emotional and manipulate the moment and try to get you to believe things about God that aren't true where invariably you will become disappointed. And all three are important, y'all. All three are important. Some of you, man, he's at the door and he's knocking. You haven't opened up. You haven't expressed faith in him. But if then faith knows that he can, believes that he will, but worships if he doesn't. God is a deliverer. Do you believe that? God delivers. Have you seen him deliver you from something? The Bible teaches us that God delivers from. 
God delivers from. Look at this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It speaks of God being the deliverer. Think we have it? Possibly. 2 Corinthians 1, here we go. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. God delivers from. What have you been delivered from? Here's the thing. I see it from my brothers and my sisters in recovery. God bless you. I love you. Man, every day. Every day's a fight. Notice he delivers. And sometimes, you know, we get delivered and we go and do things our own way. And all of a sudden pride comes in. Anybody, I know when I was little, do you remember Jim McKay at ABC's Wide World of Sports? And he shows this footage and talks about the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And what I try to preach often is what the Bible teaches. And that is truth is paradoxical. And do you realize that there can be agony in victory, and there can be thrill in defeat. And we have to be careful when we see God deliver us from something, because look at the language. He delivered us from it, He delivers us again, and He will continue to deliver us. He delivers from, and God also delivers, say it, you're awake, some of you. He delivers us through Isaiah 43. I love this because I needed it. I needed it one time in my life, and I'm going to need it again. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Which do you prefer? Anybody want to answer? From. Because you're snatched out. Bono and you too wrote a song from Psalm 40. Do we have that passage? Where he talks about being delivered from the psalmist here. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. Can you hear Bono singing this? Out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. We love it when God delivers us from something, right? I was in this pit and I've been rescued from it. I'm out of it. Praise God. But sometime, like Isaiah, we have to go through something. We have to walk through something. He'll be with you. Sometimes God delivers later. Sometimes He delivers later. Hebrews 11 is that faith chapter. But it's faith if... Then, if then, if we do this, God will do this. But it's if-then faith that knows he can, believes he will, but worships if he doesn't. It tells us of women and men who were at the Red Sea. And they were around the walls of Jericho. And they saw God's strength and they saw God deliver them. And it tells us that they, by faith, were able to conquer kingdoms and administer justice. And they gained the promise. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were able to quench the fiery ordeals of the flames around them. They saw God provide for them right here and right now. 
from things and through things. God, they saw this. But in Hebrews 11, do you know God is good enough to tell us that there were some that were mistreated and they were persecuted and they dealt with injustice and they wandered and they lived in caves, in deserts, and they were in valleys and then they were in the wilderness and they did not escape. In fact, many of these people of faith died by sword or stoning or being sawed in two. But look what Hebrews 11.39 says about later faith. I better stay away. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. God delivers from. God delivers through. But God delivers later. For those waiting on his deliverance. For marriage to be saved. For finances to make a comeback. For the wayward troubled teenager to come home. For the depression to be lifted so that you can just get out of bed and make it another day. I want to say something hard but paradoxically beautiful to you. God is a deliverer from, through, and later. But one of the most poetic, wonderful things ever written and famous was the 23rd Psalm. I was with someone a couple of weeks ago graveside as we looked at the 23rd Psalm. And in this 23rd Psalm, you know this, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There's no deliverance there. Like, no, there's no deliverance. But there's presence. I will be with you. I'll be your strength. How long? Depends on having hope. And having hope depends on how it ends. If you're in the chapter, life is hard. You need the chapter, God is good. Just keep reading to walk in this world and to walk by faith you know what it means it means you pray I, I love to sometimes tell the miracles that God's done in me in my life things I've seen you pray and you believe and you cry and you hurt and you hope and you ask God to help you with your unbelief so note takers, I want to close with this, with some teaching from Habakkuk chapter 3. three uh, put the final slide up about hope. Let's just put them all up together if you're able to do that. Hope, hope exists alongside grief, verse 17. Hope is a choice, verse 18. He says, I will, I will rejoice, I will. That's a choice. When you say I will you're making a choice. You may or may not feel it, but you're saying, I will. What do you rejoice in? The disciples in Luke 10, Jesus had sent out the 70, and they come back and they were rejoicing. You remember the story? They were rejoicing. Why? Because they had cast out demons. Now that's a good day. Like some of your stockbrokers, right? When you get five, when you sell something five times the ROI, like that's a good day. Or if you're in real estate and you, 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 
you get rid of a property, like that's a good day. If you're a preacher and you cast out demons, that's just a good day. And they came back as preachers, as disciples. They're like, hey, we're back. A demons came out. We are rejoicing. And here's what Jesus said, Luke 10, 20. He says, do not rejoice. I can tell you if we can't get it. Do not rejoice. Don't rejoice in that the spirits tremble. But rejoice that your name is written. That there's a final story and that you belong to me. Rejoice that you are mine. Because here's what I know. Sometimes the demons go out. And sometimes they hang around and get in your head and mess you up. And sometimes you don't have a great ROI, return on your investment. Or things aren't selling or moving. But we rejoice that we are his. And hope exists alongside grief. Hope is a choice. I will. I will rejoice. Hope comes from remembering and repeating. If you read all of chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, he's remembering and he's using Hebrew poetic imagery and song to remember and repeat the goodness of God. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul. I will not forget his benefits, but you do. But I do. Lastly, heights of hope come from the depths of faith. Verse 19 I'm up high as the deer is on this mountain. You know, there are deer that live on mountains and they have, they have like all the parts to be able to live on mountains. If you and I walked on the mountain at that scale, at that summit, at that peak, with that terrain, topography, we would be stumbling and falling. But there are deer that are created. Then they can, they can, they can be in these high places. And y'all, that's what worship can do for us. That's what if-then faith can do. It can strengthen us and penetrate your life and change everything. Let me pray over us.